Now, now that was said because someone was anticipating me coming out here. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you're under your breath saying, don't kid yourself, Brad. Well, good morning. So uh, I'm going to assume that for all of you that are meeting here in person, um, there's not going to be any droopy eyes today because all you had to do is spend a minute or two outside and it has a way of waking you up, right? So uh, brisk out today. So we're glad you're here. And I, I just want you to know that you being here and the extra effort and fighting against the cold and some of you maybe that didn't shovel yesterday and had to today, uh, in order to be here, um, your being here is an encouragement to others around you and to me. And I just want you to know that. I don't know if you ever think that through, but but it's true. Uh, by being here, that in and of itself serves as an encouragement. So I thank you for being here. We also want to welcome the folks that are joining us um, online, and glad that you guys are with us too. And uh, um, but, you know, you need to go stand outside a few minutes if you want to stay wide awake like we're going to here. The Bible is an incredibly unique book. That is a belief that I have had now for decades in my life. It is a unique book. It tells us about our past. It tells us about our future. And it gives us insight into ourselves. You know, it reveals things about us that maybe we weren't even really aware of. The Bible was written over a span of time of 1,500 plus years. Forty different writers contributed to that. I, I don't call them authors because I have the conviction there's just one author. But 40 different writers from three different continents over that lengthy span of time and yet the bible story is one one story the continuity flows all the way through scripture there is no other book that even begins to compare to the bible and we're going to be focusing our attention on it kurt the last two sundays has done some of the work in laying the groundwork for the series that uh, we're going to start digging into God's Word today, and we're going to be doing this all the way through Easter Sunday, touching on some of the high points that, that are found. We obviously can't cover all of them, but, uh, but we're going to invest over three, almost four months into this in breaking it down and seeing the continuity and the flow that is found in the pages of the Bible. And it's my privilege today to start that part of this whole series off by opening up to page one and to verse one. Genesis chapter one, verse one says this In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For the most part, that is our text today. We'll, we'll look at some other verses, but, but that is our main text. In, in one way, it seems like a very simple verse, but in another way, it is a very profound verse uh, in regards to all of the implications that come along with it. To be honest, there are some people that just can't accept that statement for what it says. 
And so right out of the gates, when they're looking at the Bible, they look at page one and the very first sentence on page one, and mentally they put an asterisk by that verse. Because it's like, yeah, I see what it says and all, and in a manner of speaking, figuratively speaking, it's true, but they don't want to believe or they won't accept. They're not willing to accept that it is literally true. And part of the problem with doing that with verse 1, sentence 1, that is found in the Bible is that that opens the door to the likelihood that there are going to be a number of additional times as they go through the pages of the Old Testament and then go through the pages of the New Testament that they're going to be mentally putting another asterisk by this statement and by that statement. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I don't have any problem with the majority of this. But that one there, that's a little bit far-fetched. That one there, I can't quite swallow that one. And when you start out that way with the very first sentence, that's going to increase the likelihood, whether you admit it or not, that you're probably going to be doing that elsewhere in the Bible too. But if you have this verse and if you accept this verse and if you believe this verse, then you're not going to have any problem ultimately believing everything else that is taught in the Bible. And, and I'm, I'm convinced of that. This opening verse is the foundational statement. This opening verse is the foundational truth of the whole Bible. It surprises some people that the Bible doesn't begin by uh, making an attempt to define God or giving a detailed uh, explanation in regards to his existence. But it doesn't do that. That's not the way the Bible starts. Instead, it just assumes that there is a God and that thinking people will understand the obvious, that there is a supreme being that is the power behind creation, the existence of the universe. I mean, think about it this way. I don't know how many of you in here, you know, you know, in your life, either presently or in the past, really got into hiking, going for long walks. Um, I know Ben, Ben and Kelly, you know, they, they get into doing that sort of thing. I'm not really sure what the distance is, but, I mean, they got backpacks, they got their tent and all this stuff they're taking with them. And, and, and their idea of going on a hike is like 30 miles, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, and, and for me, I mean, that's part of the definition for the word crazy in the dictionary. Um, you know, I mean, I've done some walks and I've done some hiking before, but nothing that compares to that. But, but just use your imagination for a moment. Let's just say that you went on an extended hike and you were walking some distance in an area that you weren't familiar with and in an area that didn't really look like uh, it, you know, was traveled much of all, at all. And so you were fighting through some of the underbrush and, and you, would, you came to a creek and you were trying to figure out how you're going to cross a creek and then you saw upstream a little bit that there was a tree that had fallen and, and it was bridging across the creek and so you went up to that and you crossed the creek and you continued to hike and you came to some jagged rocks and you climbed over those rocks and then you saw a small clearing 
And all of a sudden now there was kind of an opening and the sun was breaking through the tree branches. And what was in that clearing, you know, really caught your eye because there was <coughs> a pile of some wood that was in the middle of the clearing and it was burning and it had a ring of rocks that surrounded that. And, then, and right next to that, that ring and the, the, the fire, there was another stack of wood. And then on the other side, you saw a package of hot dogs laying there and some sharp sticks next to that. And then as you were kind of taking all of this in, you could hear above the sound of the crackling of the fire, you could hear a little bit of bubbling going on. And you looked at the fire again, and there in some of the coals was a can, and something was, was boiling in the can, and it was kind of, kind of giving an aroma. Now, what is the likelihood, if you came upon something like that, in the middle of an area where you didn't see any evidence of footprints and stuff like that, and now all of a sudden you happen upon this, what is the likelihood that you would start concluding that there must have been some kind of a microburst that had taken place and a gust of wind had knocked some of the dead branches off of the trees and when they hit the ground, some of them piled up like this and some of them piled up there and, and uh, there was a flash flood in the creek not too far away and some of the stones were pushed up here and along with that old can was thrown up there with a little bit of kind of like swamp water or something or other that was in it and maybe some some animal had crawled up near and and had died and that explained the the package of the hot dog looking things that were there what would be the likelihood that that would be the train of thought that you would have and that that would be the conclusion that would be explaining what it is that you had stumbled upon. Not very big, would it? Not very likely. Because rather instead, the thought that would be going through your mind is someone was recently here. Someone stacked this wood. Someone lit that fire. Someone sharpened those sticks. Someone started that pot of coffee or whatever it is. That would be along the lines of what you would actually be thinking. You would instinctively know that this site had been organized by somebody. Though maybe you didn't know much for details about this somebody, you would still be concluding that. Well, the thing is, the universe that we live in is a million times more complex than a campsite. A million times more complex. It is only natural that we conclude that there is a supernatural being that brought it about. And the reality is the indicators are all over the place. I mean, when you start breaking this down, there's a variety of directions that you can go. But let's kind of go on somewhat of a big scale here. Let's talk about the earth a little bit. The earth is perfectly designed for life. It's just the right size. For the atmosphere that we have. It's a thin atmosphere, comparatively speaking, when you talk about the size of the earth. The atmosphere is only 50 miles thick, so it's relatively thin. But yet it is what is necessary in order to protect us and to create um, the ability to be able to breathe. 
If the earth were just slightly smaller, say the size of Mercury, then there would be no atmosphere at all. If the earth was larger, say the size of Jupiter, then the atmosphere would contain free hydrogen, which would be poisonous to us. And so there wouldn't be the possibility of life. The earth is just the right distance from the sun. If it was any closer, we would burn up. Life would not be able to exist. If it was any further away, we would freeze. The earth is tilted on its axis, 23.5 degrees, they say. If it were straight, food would only be able to be grown on a small part of the surface of the earth. Canada and other northern and southern countries would be um, in in a continuous state of winter. The United States would not be able to grow anything. 23.5 degrees is the perfect angle for balanced winters and summers. The existence of water is noteworthy. There's an abundance of water. And it has a story to tell. Because plant life, animals, human beings, obviously, are dependent upon water. But besides just the mere existence of water, you think about another unique thing about water. Everything else freezes from the bottom up, but water freezes from the top down. Everything else um, contracts when it freezes. Water expands when it freezes. That means when you're talking about lakes and ponds and rivers and stuff like that, the water freezes on the surface, creating an environment of water underneath of it that is a warmer temperature where you have fish and marine creatures that can live in that environment. Just kind of a unique thing about water. There's a number of key verses that are found in Genesis chapter 1, but Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is certainly, you know, the main one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But you go down a little further and you come to verse 26 where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock. And so on. At the height of creation, God made man, mankind, in his image. Chapter 1 teaches us. The earth had to be a place that mankind could survive in for that to be carried out. Humans are made to live in, for example, a gravitational environment. I really hadn't thought about this much, but I was reading some about it just recently, and, and, and it's kind of interesting how this goes, that everything about us, including our blood flow in our bodies and including our sense of balance, is dependent upon gravity. If there weren't gravity, then... You eliminate gravity, and we got a whole bunch of problems going on. And this is part of what they're wrestling with. You know, as they talk about, 
you know, flights to Mars and maybe creating some kind of a, a settlement on Mars and stuff like this. I mean, there's some significant hurdles that they have to deal with. And, and we would obviously think about stuff like oxygen and, and food supply and, you know, stuff like that. But even stuff like uh, the need for gravity and, and all of this um, plays into it all. And so they got to tackle stuff like that. It's almost like before the creation was completed, someone had to dial in the settings just right to make it possible for human life to exist. In order for life to survive, let alone thrive, for us to be here, things needed to be appropriately organized, established, whether it be the distance that the earth has from the sun, whether it be the tilt of the earth on its axis, whether it be um, the speed in which the, the uh, earth is, is uh, going around the sun, or it be um, the, uh, uh, well, yeah, the, the speed of, of the orbit. You know, for example, they, they say that if it was going slower, the gravitational pull of the sun, you know, would actually be bringing us closer. Life wouldn't survive with that. If uh, the earth was orbiting faster, uh, we would not stay in the path that we're in and we would get further and further away and life would not be possible. Or you talk about the mass of the earth and the ability that there is an atmosphere, the existence of an atmosphere, all of these kinds of things. The Bible doesn't attempt to lay a defense for God's existence. You don't see that. And you would somewhat kind of expect that, but you don't see that. It just assumes it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if that be the case, you would expect, though, that there would be some fingerprints of God's work. And according to a couple of the writers of those 40 writers I referenced earlier in Scripture, we see them referencing God's fingerprints. For example, David says in Psalm 19, the, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And what he's basically saying there is, is that creation speaks in somewhat of a universal language that everyone can hear, everyone can understand of the existence of a creator. Paul said something along these lines in the New Testament in Romans 1. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, Paul's not saying that we can necessarily understand some of the details about God and who God is. Um, we, we may not be able to know him in a personal way, but the fact that he's there, that he exists, there is no excuse for us because there's evidence all over the place. That's what Paul is saying here. Most who are familiar with the Bible think that the, it begins with an account of creation. 
And if asked, you know, how does the Bible begin, that would be probably the way most of us, generally speaking, would say is that, well, it begins with an account of creation. And, and you know, that's almost true. That's almost the beginning of the message of the Bible. The reality is, when we look a little bit closer, we see that it's not as much beginning with creation, it's beginning with the Creator. It begins with God. In the very first sentence, actually in the very first phrase, the main character of the Bible is introduced to us. In the beginning, God. Moses says nothing about God's origin, but that's because there's nothing to say. God has no origin. When you read Genesis chapter 1 in its entirety, do some counting. There's a grand total of 31 verses that are found in that first chapter. And 40 times God is referenced in that chapter. You know, we've, we focus more on the six days of creation. But 40 times God is being referenced in that chapter. The purpose of the Bible ultimately is to introduce us to God, to bring us face to face with the God who created us, who brought us into being to begin with, to help us to have an encounter with God. That's ultimately what is behind it all. The reality is that sooner or later, you and I, we're going to find ourselves asking questions like, where did all of this come from? Why does all of this exist? How is it possible that all of this exists? Who am I? These are some loaded questions that have been filling psychology books for many, many years. Some of the, the, the foundational questions that people have wrestled with their entire lives. Well, what the Bible does is it gives us an explanation, an answer behind those questions. That God created everything out of nothing. In verse 1 when it says, in the beginning God created, the word created there is never a word, Hebrew word, that is used to talk about something that a human being does. There are different Hebrew words used for that. This is a word that is reserved for God. And it communicates this idea that God made something out of nothing. He took nothing and he made something of it. Now, that's something that uh, is beyond our capability. We cannot do that. If I took a dump truck full of nothing and I dumped it in your front yard and then we all just kind of watched to see what you would make of that, well, we all know the answer of that. Isn't there even a song that says something about Something from nothing is nothing. I mean, you can't make something out of nothing unless you're God. He spoke it all into existence. Yeah, so, so in understanding the existence of everything, including ourselves, you know, that is what the Bible communicates to us, that, that there's design behind the universe. There's design behind human life. Now, you do have another option. I don't know how many other options. My guess is there's only one other option. You either decide it's a matter of design or it is a matter of chance that explains everything. 
Either we are here because we were intentionally uh, planned to be here, or we are here simply uh, by a random occurrence, an accident, happenstance. Now, if we are here because it was planned for us to be here and it was designed that way, then all of a sudden there is purpose and there is meaning attached to our lives. And that's what the Bible communicates. As you start with sentence number one and you keep reading, you begin to appreciate that design and what that meaning is all about. But on the other hand, if you say that it's just a matter of chance, it's just happenstance, it's just, it's just everything seems to be somewhat organized, um, but it just happened to work out that way, then what that ends up meaning is that you are an accident. There is no meaning or purpose to your existence. You just happen to exist. Carl Sagan wrote the book years ago, Cosmos, and he begins the very first sentence of that book saying this, the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. So you either got that to work off of or you got Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and they will take you entirely different directions. Now, I'm convinced that a big part of the reason people gravitate toward, you know, this random chance explanation behind the existence of everything, including human life, is because otherwise you would need to conclude design, which means there's a designer, which means... There is a supreme being, which means you're not top dog, which means you don't make the rules. And you see where that takes you? There are some serious moral implications when you go that direction. And they're just unacceptable. Those implications are unacceptable for many people. And that's why they would go a different direction. By embracing the Bible's message, what impact does it have on me? And I'll answer it from that perspective. What impact does it have on me? Now, it may have a similar impact on you, or you may be able to add uh, additional statements or different statements, you know, as far as the impact goes. But, but when, when I embrace Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, along with what follows it, but when I embrace that... Um, it impacts me in multiple ways. One way, it convinces me there is a God. As I think through this, and I'm reminded of the evidence, the fingerprints of God in creation around me, the Bible helps to open my eyes to see and understand that there is an explanation behind all of this, what we call life, you know, why it exists. Now, I understand it's a matter of faith to go this route. I understand that. But that's nothing to be embarrassed of. That's nothing to be ashamed of. We are people of faith. You know, and we live our life. But the reality of the matter is, if, if you take a, a different view and say that it's a, um, a result of random chance that everything is what it is, including life and all of this, that ends up being a matter of faith as well. Because that's not reproducible. 
And so that, that, uh, um, that ends up being something where, where a person actually needs to be asking the question about what is more plausible. The explanation that says there is a designer behind it all or the explanation that says that, well, it just so happened to work out this way. The thing is that what the Bible says is that even if we remove uh, the revelation of Scripture from the equation, you and I would still have the building blocks for an understanding of a supreme being. And that's the whole point that Paul was getting at in Romans chapter 1. That's the point that he's making there. By just looking around us, we see the evidence of a creator. We may not know specific details about him, but we see the evidence of that. And so that's one way this impacts me, is that it convinces me that there is a God. Another way that it impacts me is it reminds me I'm not an accident. And th this is a rather big point. I am not here because some lo lower life form somewhere along the line began to develop and sprout legs and eventually stood upright and all of that. I am here because I have been made in the image of God. I am here because that was the plan. For me to be here. That is what God decided. And so God has a plan. And it goes beyond then as we look in scripture. It goes beyond just the mere existence of myself and you. But that plan includes stuff like uh, what we read in Jeremiah 29. Where it says I know the plans I have for you says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You see, God's got a plan that goes beyond just your existence and my existence. I mean, the fact that we exist, that's part of the plan. But the plan goes beyond to include some of these concepts like what the prophet Jeremiah was talking about. Another way that this impacts me is that it reassures me that nothing is too hard for God. I mean, you think about it. If God could make something out of nothing, then he can surely help you and me in whatever predicament we happen to find ourselves in during those rough stretches in our life when we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, which right now might be the case for you or for your family. I mean, that's when God does some of his best work in difficult or, let's say it, impossible situations. Nothing is too difficult. Nothing is too hard for God. Now, I was kind of tipped off to write this on here because, again, the prophet Jeremiah, that's the way his mind was working. Jeremiah chapter 32 says, O Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and the earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. See, that was how, what he was concluding. In view of creation, in view of the fact that God's the one that brought all things into being, the conclusion that Jeremiah was making, nothing is too difficult for God. That's a rather big point 
especially when God invites us to cast all of our cares upon him. He invites us to look to him, to pray to him, to reach out to him, knowing that nothing is too hard for him. That's reassuring. And that leads me to number four, the way that this impacts me is it compels me to reach out to him. It causes me to want to reach out to him. He is the reason I exist. He is the reason I'm here to begin with. I want to know my creator. There's an interesting chapter in the New Testament. It's in the book of Acts. Paul, during some of his travels, uh, he ended up being in Athens. Actually, he was rendezvousing with some other individuals there in Athens, and he got there before they did. And so he spent some time walking around and just observing some of the sights in Athens. And basically what he was seeing is that on every street corner, seemingly, there was an altar or there was an idol that was there. And they had different names uh, um, ascribed to them, plaques, stuff like that. And, and Paul was being distressed. This really caused some uneasiness in him when he saw that, that you know, apparently these folks were trying to cover all the bases and trying to think of all the possibilities as far as the supernatural and gods and stuff like that. And so they, whenever they heard about a god, they erected an idol or an altar for them. In fact, they even had one that had a plaque on it that said, to an unknown god. And so in their intent to cover all the bases, they thought, well, maybe there's still one we haven't heard about yet, so let's create one for that god as well. And so Paul was trying to talk some sense into people there in Athens. And word got around of some of the stuff he was saying. And so he was in a more formal way. He was invited to give an official speech before some of the philosophers. And so what we see in Acts chapter 17 is that Paul kind of steps up and he's got everybody's ear and he says, I've been noticing that you all are very religious people. In fact, you have one altar that is inscribed with to an unknown God. Well, that's why I'm here. I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. And you can just picture it now. The people listening to them, this is how they spent their days the scripture tells us that they're probably now sitting on their edge of their seat because they want to learn more about this. What's going to come out of Paul's mouth? He's got their attention. Well, we don't have to guess. Here's what Paul says. The God who made the world and everything in it. Okay, so he's talking about creation. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else so he's talking about the supreme creator of everything but he's not done yet he says from one man he made every nation of men that's a reference to adam that they should inhabit the whole earth And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that, ooh, this is going to be a big statement. Why did God do all of this? He's he's telling us now in this sentence, God did this so that 
men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Why did what we read in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, why did that happen to begin with? God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This is why God created all that exists. This is why Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 happened. This is what it's all about. This is what is behind it all. This is why creation happened. This is why you have a beating heart in your chest right this moment. And why, after you exhale this breath, you take in another breath. This is why there will be a breath there for you to take. It's because God has a plan. He created you. He put you here on earth. You are where you are so that you would reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from you, from me, from each one of us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You take that, you embrace that. And everything that follows in the Bible makes sense. If you're going to put a big question mark in the middle of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, then there is a big question mark over everything else. Because now all of a sudden we don't know for sure why we're here. Because we might just be an accident. There may be no purpose or explanation behind our existence. See, it changes everything. And so as we go through this series over the next few months, we're going to be developing this because it's recorded right here. Everything now follows Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and it gives us a completed picture. And I'll go ahead and tell you right now where this is going to end. This series is going to end. It's going to end on Easter Sunday. That's what we're building up to. So, you know, uh, you know I, I know you're not supposed to read the, the last couple pages of a book when you first start reading it, but, but we know where this series is going. And it's going to go talk about God and what he was willing to do. He not only created you, but God's got some major skin in the game. When things seemingly were falling apart, which is the topic next Sunday. God didn't wash his hands, turn his back, and walk away. But rather instead, God had a plan that unfolded, that included everything from Mount Sinai to the prophets to the chosen people to the apostles and the teachings of our Lord Jesus and this plan unfolded to the point that Jesus voluntarily gave his life 
on the cross. During this time of communion, we reflect on that. We, in fact, we celebrate that. While you take the bread here in a moment and you eat it, you think about the body of Jesus. You, you take the cup and you drink it and you think about the blood of Christ and, and the sacrifice that was made on your behalf. And one of, the, one of the songs that we sang upstairs in the previous service um, had the words as white as snow as part of that. And boy, how timely that particular song is because the scripture tells us in passages like Isaiah chapter, chapter one that though our sins be major and be scarlet and all of this, God will make them as white as snow. I, I want to encourage you to do something. I don't know if it kind of looks like, yeah, I think the sun is shining out there. So uh, I want to encourage you to do something. I, I even thought about bringing a shovel full of snow in here, but by this point, it had probably all been water. But when you're leaving here today, I want you to look at some of this snow, that untouched snow, not what's been plowed or something like that. But, but look at snow and see how bright it is, especially in the sunlight. And realize that the Bible uses that picture to describe our lives in Christ. That when we are forgiven of our sin, we are as white as snow. As a matter of fact, we can go even a step beyond that. Because there are passages like Psalm 51 that says, whiter than snow. That's pretty white. That's pretty clean and pure. And that's what God made possible for us through the gift of his son, Jesus. So as we, as we study what the message of the Bible is all about, realize this is where it's taking us, is that God, it was all about God wanting to have an encounter with us, wanting to have a relationship with us, wanting us to reach out to him. And he paid a high price to make it possible for that to happen. And that, it's part of what we're celebrating at this time of communion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for loving us. I thank you, thank you for creating us to begin with and sustaining us in so many different ways. I mean, the obvious ways that I just commented about was like the next breath of air and stuff like that. But, but uh, um, your... Your sustaining power goes well beyond that, providing food, providing all that we need in order to live and thrive. And, 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 and we're even instructed in Scripture that every perfect, good and perfect gift comes from above. So, Father, we recognize the fact that your hand is in the mix, not just in the beginning, spinning all things into motion, but your hand has been a part of our individual lives leading us to the point that we are at right now. We celebrate that. We celebrate having the opportunity to serve a big God and even to go beyond serving, to know you, Lord. We celebrate having the opportunity to know you. There's so much that you did to make it possible. And we thank you for that today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.